Hey, this is Cliff Waddell, and you're listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Hey, Troy, where can they find us? Well, Howie, they can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere where they listen to their podcasts. And now they can find us on Rowdy IM by going to rowdyim.com. Don't forget to look us up on social media as well. We are on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and even YouTube. And once again, that's rowdyim.com, W-O-X-B. Let's Let's get get rowdy. rowdy. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Charlie and Howie. Yes, we sure do appreciate it. Um, Special Memorial Day weekend episode this weekend. We got uh, Master Sergeant retired, Paul Miller. And uh, he runs a 100% nonprofit organization that othersmayrise.org. You can find his website and, and help and uh, donate. We sure would appreciate it. And I know as well. And uh, we're going to get into a little bit of stories here, uh, a few missions, and uh, also had a little bit of his 9 11 story that you had heard, uh, maybe our old episode. Um, and also how you can. Um, mental illness and, and you know this is the end of uh, may and mental health mental health awareness month is still going on so you can find that out here as well uh 1-800-273-8255 is the uh if you need help and also you can text 741-741 so with that being said let's get into our interview with chief master sergeant retired paul miller thanks for tuning in everybody we're joined by another special guest today chief master sergeant retired paul miller I'll call him Uncle Paul. Thanks for joining us, Uncle Paul. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Great to be uh, here. Uh, it's great to have you back again. And um, real quick, I just want to let everybody know, uh, as we're chatting with him, uh, he does run a nonprofit organization, and it's 100% nonprofit, that othersmayrise.org. And um, maybe you can kind of just give a quick little rundown of it right now, and then we'll kind of talk about it more later. Okay, just to, to talk that, that Others May Rise... And the whole premise of that is we try to find the gaps and seams where organizations, governments uh, tend to fail. And that's in the U.S. and over in Africa. We focus a lot of our efforts over in Africa, Cabo Verde, work with a lot of schooling over there because the key, and not just college, uh, we, we look at trades. Uh, because we want people to be able to support themselves and get out of the system. Mm -hmm. So right now we're supporting about uh, 20 young uh, people over there. Uh, They have to also pay to get through like 11th and 12th grade uh, just Mm -hmm. to to finish uh, those aspects. We try not to duplicate where other agencies are working. So we work through uh, non-government organizations over there and through the church over there. Then in the States, uh, we work a lot of different veterans programs, some of our own on our website. We have how to write a resume, how to do an interview. Uh, We'll work with people uh, one-on-one if need be, and that's never at a cost of anything for anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we also uh, try to find uh, even the odd one, like we're working with the Texas Highway Patrolman, uh, whose son, uh, born with cerebral palsy, trying to get them a van. So what we try to do, like I said, if we find, see the need, we want to reach in and, and fill that need. 
and that others may rise. And I'll talk a little bit uh, about kind of how that, you know, all came about and was born. Sure. Let's yeah, jump into it. Um, and also, too, I was thinking, uh, as you were just uh, explaining what you do, um, I have a friend who works for the VA, and uh, and he, he does a lot of, like, finding housing for uh, for vets and uh, and folks that are, you know, basically uh, displaced onto the streets. And uh, and he also deals a lot with the mental health aspect of things. Uh, how do you, I mean, do you play a role with the VA at all in any shape? I, I, I do. I worked for the VA for about uh, two and a half years directly. Okay. Um, and I left them in 2016 when it was my uh, old, my retirement, retirement, if you will, in order to set up the nonprofit. Um, one of the things I do now, though, is I really don't work with the VA. I work to try to hold the VA accountable. And I'm trying to get a program uh, in place now through the, uh, the joint staff or through Congress uh, that will help to hold the VA accountable because while the VA does a great job, uh, there is a lot of waste there just because it's oh, a government organization and they don't have anybody that tells the truth up the line and, and anything that comes down the line gets filtered too much. And so they yeah. have to bridge that gap and that's one of the things uh, we're working on trying to fix. So okay. you, you were saying there, you know, um, about how it all kind of got started. And um, I guess, why don't you, you know what, let's just jump into it right now. And then we'll talk about some of your other um, positions in the military and stuff later. Um, so let's just keep going with this, uh, that others may rise. And again, that's at that, that others may rise.org. So please look that up and uh, donate if you can. That would be great. Um, how did this all get started for you? Like what kind of where did the snowball from? Well, it, you know, as a I was a pararescueman, and we'll talk a little bit, I guess, what that all is. But one of our models is that others may live. Uh, I happen to be the the first pararescueman assigned directly to the Pentagon. Uh, I think it was actually punishment because um, <laughs> nobody else would do it. But I kind of always have a I. My, one of my curses in life is I seldom say no to, to different things. Uh, so I got assigned to the Pentagon in late 1997, and uh, I was there through uh, to uh, about mid of 2002. So um, I was there on 9-11. Um, the ironic part of that is I was actually supposed to be out of country and over in Okinawa, and I just canceled out of uh, going on that, what we call a TDY, temporary deployment. Uh, I was going to go over there, and I canceled. And then I had leave to take. And um, you have in the military, you're allowed to carry so many leaves over, kind of like vacation days for other people. Right. Um, it's use or lose. So, um, so what I would do um, is I had like, uh, over 20 some days of leave to take. So I was actually on leave uh, September 10th and September 11th. And I was, had, I was on leave for the rest of September. The only thing that meant is I still went into work, 
by it meant two things. I could go into work in civilian clothes, and uh, I actually could go to lunch and and I would go to the gym uh, mm-hmm. to do that. So on that day, I was in civilian clothes and I was uh, just getting ready to go to the gym when, of course, what we know, nine eleven, you know, happened up in New York. Uh, take a long story short on that. I um, it's all the first, first plane. That, you know, know, we we all went through that second plane. As soon as the second plane hit, I knew that it was not an accident, as most people did. So I decided, well, we're going to get locked down here. So I'm going to go for a run, and um, so I quick changed and started leaving uh, the Pentagon, uh, heading heading to the north. And I remember looking up to the right, and I remember seeing an airplane and a weird attitude. But I didn't really think anything of it because that was very normal. Uh, okay. Because the, the Pentagon, if you don't know, is right along the flight path to fly into Reagan Airport. Right. Okay. Come right down the Reagan. Yeah, but it, I just remember it looked a little different, but I just went, well, because it's happening, they're turning it away or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I still don't know if that was the plane that struck the Pentagon. I believe it was. But I, I turned my back and I was starting to move away. And then the next thing I know is to turn around and see a huge fireball uh, seeing, you know, going up and going, you know, immediately. Uh, I can't say I knew it was a plane at that moment, but mm-hmm. I knew the Pentagon was struck. Mm-hmm. So, uh, now, uh, Troy, I don't want to bother you with uh, a vision here, but back then, you got to go back to 2001. <laughs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing short spandex uh, <laughs> and my muscle shirt. So, uh, so they, um, so I'm running back towards the Pentagon in spandex. Uh, so spandex and fire doesn't go together. No, not so well. No, Uh, but did run back uh, to that area. And one of the things there's certain things that stick out of my mind, certain things that I can, I will talk about. They're not, Mm -hmm. um, but the the fireball the deep orange black smoke just rolling up and then what a lot of people don't know the pentagon had a um it w- most pictures if you look up the pentagon you're going to see a picture the the pentagon and the ceiling the, the roof is like collapsed down on an right angel. when that plane first hit the first 20 minutes it was a hole uh mm. it was a hole directly into that um and uh, because that's where how the plane sliced in through. And there were pieces of the airplane uh, scattered around uh, outside the, the, the Pentagon. And then luckily what happened is we got a report of another airplane coming in. So we had to move away uh, because we thought they were going to attack the, the Pentagon. And there was thousands. The Pentagon holds about 25,000 people. So... Now you have thousands and thousands of people outside the Pentagon. Uh, hmm. and so we're thinking if another plane's come in and we got to move everybody away because, hell, you could just kill thousands of people, not even hitting the Pentagon, just coming yeah. across. 
So we moved away, and that time, that's when the um, the the rest of the Pentagon collapsed. You could hear it. You hear it collapse. So luckily, nobody was killed in that part of it. Long mm-hmm. story short, to jump forward to that evening, because this all happened, you know, at nine uh, thirty-seven through ten o'clock in the morning. But around that evening, about ten o'clock, I was still there. Pentagon's burning. The roof was burning. Uh, because it was made of uh, different shingles, and I was kind of tired. Uh, I think I had just found out that the towers had collapsed. I did not know that at the time yet. Mm. Uh, we, you know, somebody was just telling me I couldn't picture that, um, what they were talking about. Um, and then um, I was the first time I think I was alone, and I was sitting there by myself, and this young woman um came walking up and she was holding a a child and i remember sitting there looking over at her back was to me and i'm thinking to myself you know what the hell are you doing here and um and then i saw that she was crying and Mm -hmm. then he's sorry i I, i've jumped over a lot so yeah makes it easier for me i can i can tell certain things so yeah um, so i realized at that moment that she had somebody in there that wasn't coming out uh, mm-hmm. that child's father more than likely mm-hmm. wasn't coming out and it struck me at that point i was tired and, and i realized I had to get up and go over and comfort her. And, you know, I know I've said this before, but mm-hmm. I said a quick prayer. I said, Lord, give me the strength uh, to do what I don't want to do. Because um, I didn't know if I would be any help if I could last. And then uh, as I was, went to stand up, a uh, chaplain came kind of walking out of the blue. And the only reason mm-hmm. I knew he was a chaplain because he had a, a cross on him and, and different things. And uh, he went up and started talking to her and hugged her. And I just went, thank you, Lord. Yeah. Uh, so, but at that moment, and it wasn't all right at that moment, but I started thinking about that young child. Like, maybe there's a lot of people who were saved in that, mm-hmm. but now what? You know, there's a lot of children that lost people. And so I started thinking about my career, if I've saved somebody or different things. You know, usually if we save them, you know, we'll drop them off and say, see ya. And then sometimes you might have contact with somebody or or something else. But, you know, you're not really trying to. So it's like, what's next? And then through the rest of my career, um, that kind of stayed with me, and then when I left the pen, when I left the VA, the Veterans Administration, mm-hmm. uh, that's when I went. It's time, and I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to call it, you know. Um, but then the Pentagon flashback came back to me, you know, and um, that others may live, to that others may rise, and you know, it's like that makes sense and i it, i want wanted something else good to come out of out of 911 and right. i didn't want to just focus on the us because i do believe the world is interconnected we have to t-
first. I mean, I'm all for that. That makes just like our home life. You know, you got to take care of your home life before you can help others. But mm-hmm. it's so interconnected, and we can see that today in Ukraine and, and other places in the world that right. we have to reach out and get others to help themselves so we're not there. So that's kind of how that Others May Rise was was born and then started focusing on Africa. But then I wanted to do something for veterans. And then that other need, like we was talking about, uh, the, the law enforcement child, Love the Blue, uh, down in Texas, that, you know, I was asked to, to help on that. And that's something I'm just not going to say no on. Right. Sure. So That's you also have, um, short. yeah, and there's also, um, you, you guys have a scholarship through that othersmayrise.org, right, too, that you sponsor? We, we, we do, we, we do. I call it the EZ, but it stands for Elmer and ZZ, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Elmer, uh, you can probably guess who that's named after, Troy. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, my grandfather, Uncle Paul's dad, so, yep. Yeah, and, you know, my my dad, Elmer, was such a good-hearted man, and he was a hard worker, and um, he would always go out and help others. And so his work ethic uh, is one of the things, you know, we just don't do handouts. We want people to earn what they're getting, and that's Mm -hmm. extremely important. Then Zizi, uh, that's my mother-in-law, uh, mm-hmm. Angela's uh, mother. She lives over in Africa. And my dad and Zizi never really met, but they're two peas in the pod of working hard. She's a U.S. citizen. You know, they, they immigrated back in 1979, learned the language, worked hard. And like I always say, they are some of the best U.S. citizens that you'll meet uh, in in the United States. And yeah. so naming it the easy, it's not because it's easy, but it's because <laughs> Elmer is easy. And I wrote a little thing on our website about that name also, uh, how two individuals so culturally apart, but so mm-hmm. much alike. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. At othersmayrise.org, please check it out. Yeah, the uh, the only thing they did wrong there is uh, immigrating to Boston and becoming um, Patriots fans, but but we'll forgive them for that. So no no, no argument there. Uh, out. Uh, yeah, we can go uh, we can go down a whole other tunnel with that one, right? Well, uh, I will say I will say I I, I have become a slow little bit. Tom Brady has gotten some respect out of me. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the guys earned it. You got to give them that. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. How how can you deny that? But um, right. but you, but you had mentioned that um, you know there's still things that today that you just can't talk about. Um, now, have you have you reached out for help to kind of help you um, cope with some of those things that you've experienced, or are you or or what do you do to help you cope with other than maybe run this organization? Uh, I think you just nailed it right there um, on that. Um, what I what I've learned is no. Number one, I have not reached out. It's a problem. It's a part of the problem with mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. Number one, we used to call it mental illness. Now we call it mm-hmm. mental health, right. and that doesn't fix it uh, because there's too much of a stigma with it. Um, yeah. In there's too many other things on that all of a sudden people look at you differently. 
And till we fix that, and um, we'll never get rid of that stigma. And mm -hmm. uh, the, on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they are looking at things like that right now, and that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, that is. It's a long road. It won't happen overnight. But we have to this mental health, mental stability, however you mm -hmm. want to name it. But as soon as you use that word mental, yes, I say mental. <laughs> and once know. you know, everybody gets in, and oh, oh, he's mental. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're right, it, it is. So, we we have to come up with terminology now. We can talk about physical health, and that's okay to talk about certain things, but mental health is, is we it's still one of those things. So, to go back to answer your question. That others may rise actually is what helps me to do this. Okay. Talking a little bit, probably no less than um, the first time I ever really talked about this in an open forum uh, was about two years ago on 9-11. And I kind of gave it, it was the first time I talked in front of a group of people uh, in a little more detail about 9-11. Uh, that was hard. Uh, but that was very cathartic for me and mm -hmm. very helpful to me. Um, so um, I don't talk about it a lot. Of, that's one of the things, if you knew my dad, Elmer, um, he didn't talk about himself hardly either at all either. Right. Uh, just kind of a doer, and I'm more of that sense also yeah um, i'll talk about things about myself a lot of times more about the guys that i've worked with and and that because i it's not i'm not that important in a lot of things it's uh but if i can tell those stories then i'm doing my job yeah, no, that makes 100% sense there. And uh, and I've actually done like some community speaking engagements about mental health uh, with military installations. And, uh, and, and it never fails that when I'm done speaking at some of these engagements, there's always that one person that comes up to me and says, I can't talk about it. I, I know I have some of these concerns. I know I have some of these issues, but if I do talk about, and this is active military personnel, they said, oh, if yeah, I talk yeah. about it, um, you know, it's still such a stigma in the military that they'll take my clearances away to, to be able to use a gun. Uh, I'll, I won't be allowed to use, I won't be allowed to be in certain areas of the installations because I've declared myself, um, you know, um, mentally disabled, so to speak. And, uh, and it's just, it's a shame because like you said earlier, that stigma plays a huge role. And, yeah. um, and unfortunately that's why we see such like a high suicide rate in that military, you know, over, what was it over the last 20 years, we've lost 5,000 military to combat. And, and in that same span, we've lost over a hundred thousand to suicide. You know, lost a lot, yeah. Yeah, lot to, to suicide. At least, you know, there's a number out there. They say, but, you know, 22 a day. That's not, that's a little exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's around between 17 to 18 a day um, that, mm. that lose. And I've also, I wrote a thing on that, too, about suicide because it is a very real thing. Uh, nobody can understand it. And there's an old book. 
one of the questions somebody says to somebody about God or something is says, I do not understand. And the only answer the individual could give back about God was, yes, you do not understand. Thing was suicide. See, mm -hmm. you can't look at somebody and predict. We can predict after the fact. Uh, we just yeah. had a young man, a, a pararescue man at a guard unit uh, two months ago. I was at, uh, at a gather for him, committed suicide. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, looking backwards at DDC, but it, a lot of people say, well, you know, I hear it at funerals all the time. I don't understand. And the yeah. answer is, yes, you don't mm -hmm. understand. But the key is, you don't have to understand. No. And... You, you just have to interject at the right time. Uh, that person has come down in their mind with that final solution, and it makes sense to them. Yeah. Um, I, and it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. That's not, that's not a thing. So that's why suicide is so hard uh, to get around. And what I want to jump on one more thing that the uh, up at joint, the, the, the chairman joint staff there, uh, the C Act, the senior listed advisor to the chairman, CZ as he goes by, he's a former PJ. Uh, okay. He's the highest enlisted guy in the military. Uh, and they're taking a thing now, they're looking at the as a weapon system. And so, and weapon systems are like an airplane. We were just talking about helicopters a little bit earlier. Right. Well, you fund that airplane, you provide maintenance to that airplane, you have downtime for that airplane. The airplane gets damaged, you make sure you fix it. It's a whole weapon system. And it's something that we started back with the, uh, with pararescue and the combat rescue officer back in around 2002. Uh, we created the first, if you will, uh, called the Guardian Angel Weapon System. Okay. And I was lucky enough a year ago to go down to the 38th Rescue Squadron at Moody for their 20th anniversary. Uh, it would be, one of the reasons I was there is because I helped create that squadron and helped create the setup on it. The weapon was created... Uh, was he followed through by an, another buddy of mine, Lieutenant Colonel uh, T.C. Phillips, uh, who uh, did a wonderful job. But I went down there and to see the maintenance that they're putting in the human beings was just awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. They had the psychologists there. They had the physical people there. Uh, it was just no different than what you're doing on an aircraft. And so it, it looks like we're on the way to change some of that stigma. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. No. It's going to take 20 years. Uh, and now we're going to have, you know, other issues with Afghanistan and so on. So mm -hmm. uh, they're on oh, the we're right gonna, yeah. we're, push. Exactly. We're going to have issues with just the COVID aspect of things i mean Correct. you know we're gonna see a lot of post-traumatic stress come from that in fact we're already seeing it you know come from um just the the covid aspect of it so yeah we got a long way to go for sure we, we do well i started in mental health in 1976 so uh we 
we've kept doing this this loop de loop, and uh, and we talk out of both sides of our mouth. Yeah, uh, that type of stuff, and um, until we stop that and are serious about it, uh, it it won't get fixed. You know, Paul, it's funny you say that because uh, when you said 1976, uh, that just kind of raised an eyebrow for me because uh, in Pennsylvania, the law in the mental health field hasn't changed since 1976. There you so go. there you go. There you go. And you, well, you know, probably made new laws up there because I had just left. So it's really ironic. We didn't really even discuss it. We were going to talk about this. But, you know, now that we did, right. uh, you know, as this is airing in the month of May and it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So <laughs> yeah. does that all work out? <laughs> Yeah, it, like you said, it is it is a stigma, and 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 even guys like the, I could talk to guys that were in my job and other jobs, and, and some people just feel like it's BS. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to a spouse today, and you know, and and we we were chit chatting about different things, and she was saying, well, you know, uh, so and so feels that. You know, he has both his arms and his legs and, uh, you know, the, he can't complain or, or shouldn't do anything. And the, mm -hmm. so, you know, we, we talked about that for, for a little while. So yeah. it is it, it is a huge thing to, to overcome. And um, there is also, how do I want to say this, that suicide is a thing, not that we accept. But you also have to understand that there are certain things in the human world that to totally eradicate, it's you you have you can't control human beings. You can't control their thoughts no. and their actions. And so it's something that is going to be there. And if, if to me, if we understand it's always there, then we can actively engage it. If we pretend we're going to get rid of it, then we can pretend that we're there, almost there. And so, and there's people who ignore it. Right. Um, but we all know somebody that's probably committed suicide. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I'll throw into another area, you know, um, there's people who have alcohol problems and drug problems. I call that a slow form of suicide. Yeah. Um, well, in fact, it, drugs it, and alcohol is under the same umbrella as mental health. So it, it, it is. It part is. Of this. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a slow way. So uh, it's something that needs to be addressed. We have to look at it differently. We have to get rid of the stigma. The only way that you can do that uh, is you have to start taking away some of the consequences uh, when people come forward with issues that, oh, well, like, you know, if you're a police officer or military, well, you can't do this anymore. You can't do that. Right. Because people, uh, something, here's something else I always talk about, uncertainty, risk, and time. Because all of a sudden you become a risk and people aren't sure what the risk is anymore. Now they're uncertain how to act. So they act. And the only way to act is to restrict you. So if something does happen, well, hey, we did something. 
Uh, right. So it shows action. And action sometimes is not always the best thing. Sometimes it is best just to wait and see and to work with somebody. And you don't necessarily have to do a restriction uh, right away. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's um, it's a deep conversation we just got into there with some mental health issues. And um, I mean, I didn't. You two could just have a conversation about this all day. I'm sure, being having a mental health background, but uh, oh yeah, oh you know, yeah. From an, out, from an outsider looking at this, like it, you guys are really making me look at things differently. Just listening to your conversation, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And actually, Paul, you yeah, I was just gonna say, Paul, you brought something up to me um, when you talked about the stigma words. Uh, when you said mental health, I never even thought about the word mental. Uh, when it comes to mental health. Uh, and, and that's actually making me think a different way because um, I've always looked at, um, like, for example, when I talk about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, I don't use the word disorder in that anymore. I've stopped oh, wow. using that for the last couple of years because disorder in itself is a, is a stigma word. And I thought, you know what? I just continued using the word mental health. And that's making me actually think it think twice about it and i'm actually going to bring that forward to uh some folks that actually do a lot of this education uh throughout and uh and see what they think about that because i think that's a that's a really good point to make when it comes to that stigma word it is and and you know again because the word you know like i said if you just use the word mental now there's two ways to look at it depends on how you use it but if you say somebody's mental Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to, you know, you bring your own description of what that means to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I, I would almost bet everybody that if any, you know, people listening to this, that it's a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you think psychotic, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, so those are the things that we have to to do and then the like i said the other side is the consequences we feel uh that we have to react to something we have to do something and sometimes when especially when it, it comes to psychological factors sometimes you don't sometimes like we said when somebody's going through the hardest of times what's the best thing anybody could do for them it's just be there just yeah, to, yeah. Listen to him. Yeah, nothing. Just be there, and so it's it's a long road, and you know we're not going to solve it by changing a name either. I want to make yeah. sure I stress that also. Yeah, and you know I I've worked. Uh, I used to. Well, I still do first responses. Like if there's a suicide within the community, and uh, or or even a homicide and such, there are times where I'm called out to these places, and um, you know. One of the things that I see uh, with uh, folks that are going through that is, in fact, I would say the majority of the folks that I've talked to, um, the biggest complaint that they've had was nobody listened to them. Nobody cared about them. And uh, you'd be surprised by just simply taking the time to listen to someone, how much that might have just saved their life, you know, when it comes to um, suicide. And, and honestly, the military is no exception. There's, there's folks... And, and and let's face it, you know, working in the military, there's things that you guys have seen. There's no way that I'll ever be able to relate to or anybody else outside the military. Um, but 
but I can always listen. You know, I don't always have to understand what you went through, but just listening to what you went through can, can actually help you get it off your chest and, and go into a direction of recovery in a sense. It, it, I'll jump on this. That you just said, I just had this conversation with a, uh, a young lady a couple weeks ago because she's working with veterans, but says, you know, sometimes, oh, I don't feel like I can understand. I don't feel like uh, I can comment in, in different things. And my, my point was is that, uh, to me, that's BS. Now, it's, sometimes when you get a group of people who have the same problems, the same issues, that's not a bad thing. Um, right. but, but sometimes you do need an outsider mm. to come in and look at it. Troy, you just mentioned it. Mm -hmm. To look at it from a different angle. Um, yes. it, it, you know, it's adapting. It's something, what you know, I talk a lot about agility. Um, and if you look at a problem from the same angle all the time, then you're going to come up with the same solution, uh, drugs, this, or whatever. And so you do need somebody to do that. So I encourage people, yeah, you're not going to maybe go want to, you know, on certain things, but that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you can't understand or feel. Right. And so I think that's also very important for people to understand out there that you can reach out to others mm -hmm. and you don't have to have the same darn experience. So, um, in fact, sometimes I think it actually helps to break a cycle once in a while. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I, you're probably familiar, Troy, you might not be, but, uh, they, how, you know, the drama triangle, uh, mm -hmm. victim rescuer, and you right. get into that triangle where everybody's feeding off of each other and mm. they keep it going and going where the rescuer, you know, Troy, you come in to rescue me because I'm the victim. But then all of a sudden I attack you because it was none of your damn business. And so now I'm persecuting you. You become the victim and mm -hmm. I jump in to rescue you. <laughs> and you <can laughs> I got you. It, 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 trust me. It becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah. No. Anyway, so, we yeah, this, so that's, you know, no, that's okay. I mean, when, you know, we've brought up a conversation, it's very important. Um, so I guess now would be a good time too to throw out that if, if you do feel like you're having some issues mentally um, with whether it be, you know, uh, depression or suicide or, or just feeling really down about something, uh, the hotlines are out there 1 800 273 8255. You can also text 741 741. So please um, reach out to somebody if you're having problems or need help with something. Um, even if you feel like you, you can't speak to like a family member or somebody close about it and you want to kind of speak anonymously, you can do that through this hotline. So please do that. Um, and also, uh, please make sure you reach out to um, thatothersmayrise.org. Take a look at that mission um, and what they're doing to help so many different people um, in Africa, uh, the patrolmen in Texas at this point, and there will be so many others along the way as we go. Um, Let's so we're talk coming... about how big of a badass you are, by the that's way. That's exactly what that's I want to. That's what I want to. That's what I want to talk about. Because number one, you're you're sitting in front of a freaking gym, and I see like a, a, a basically a um, uh, a dummy in the background. Not talking about you, uh, uh, Paul, but I'm talking about this thing in the background where you can just punch the hell out of it. 
and uh, and I, I'm I'm a little jealous of the gym setup you have in the background. And uh, but but being a PJ, you yes. know, um, in the military, in the Air Force, uh, I mean. First of all, while you and Troy were talking before recording, I'm like on the internet looking at, you know, what does it take to become a PJ? And uh, it's it's a pretty rigorous um, routine that you have to go through for just training um, and so forth. So, you know, tell me a little bit about that. Well, number one, you know, definitely not a badass. So I want to. <laughs> You're humble. Let, let, yeah, let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. I'm not going to go. make it through. But uh, to talk about you know, is where we are the highest trained individuals in the military right up front. And what I mean by that is uh, no other service or, or profession will take somebody take them and put them into free fall training, put them into regular parachute training, scuba training, mountaineering, driving weapons, paramedics, and working with aircraft. The training takes almost two years to get through uh, to become fully qualified. Uh, We've been trying to fix this. Uh, and I did write a paper about this also, trying to fix. We usually have an average of a 90% washout rate. Uh, that's not people who apply. That's people who started. Like my class, we started right. with around 97 individuals. By the fourth week, we were down to about eh, 50 or so. And then after the fourth week where we had some special training, um, we probably lost about another 27. We were down to about 20. And by the time we got through our training, we graduated seven. We, we had wow. We, from the original class, the Magnificent, magnificent Seven. Wow. Now, those, those folks that are part of that 97, did they drop out or were they removed out? Or it's both? Most, most just quit. And, it, and remember a little uncertainty and risk um, and uh, time most of them what one of the things I've learned over time what the career field screens for is our our ability to have agility um, and so what happens is most of them quit uh, there are some injuries um, mm-hmm. there are some academics but the vast majority just quit it's it's time because we put people through stressors and because they can't adapt they can't cope with what's going on because uncertainty frightens us more as humans than something that we know might happen and we act And it's uh-huh. studies have been found to do that. We act usually irrational. Less amount of information. Where you think if something happened, you had little information, you would try to get as much information before you react to it. But gotcha. as human beings, we can faster to the less we know. So one of the things that that screening did for us, and I didn't think about this till 
many years later, were screening for certain attributes. They were screening for somebody agile. And when I use that term, I and in some way, it's not just because he can dance, but if you think of his career, always adapted and changed his fighting style in a lot of ways, depending on who he was fighting. So he would adapt and be agile and flexible, and he was always resilient, other than when he get knocked out. But you know, but he rebounded from that too, if you remember. Right. Those are the things that we're looking for. We're not looking for the fastest guy. We're not looking for the best athlete. We're not looking for just things that guy. Thank God, I probably don't have any of them anyway. Um, but we're looking for the guys who are the most. They can adapt to the situation. They can go into something that's unknown. Know that they're going into the unknown. Even if they have information, they know that that information is probably wrong. And mm. when we get called in, especially with the guys in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, uh, they get called in. Everything is gone wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. The only reason we're going in is because something has gone wrong. So, uh, and our guys, they work with the, they are the rescue force for like if the SEALs are going in somewhere. If the special forces are going in somewhere, our guys are those guys. Either they're with the team on the ground or they're right there ready to, to, to go in to do the, to the rescue aspect. So the training is, is intense. The physicality is intense. But it's that mental agility. And see there, when I use that term mental, by the way, it's not so bad because you're saying there's a real good positive with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to do that. And maybe that's a new term. Uh, maybe that's a term to start using instead of mental health, we use mental agility. I like that. Uh, because we want people who are responsive, flexible, adaptable, resilient, correct, uh, in order to have good mental health. I just mm -hmm. popped into mm -hmm. my head, by the way. So. <laughs> All right. You know what? Why don't you and I market that, and we'll trademark. see if we can make that work. Yeah, it's we'll the way trademark. my brain works. It's the way my brain works. It does jump around a lot. So There you go. Uh, so in a nutshell, our screening, we lose a lot of people, but we usually lose them up front. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Uh, they still struggle with that. And then some people think, and that's one reason I always push back a little bit on the badass or, you know, some people think, oh, you got a bunch of macho guys. We're no better than anybody else doing their job. We just have a little bit of a different attitude towards it. And because yeah. we have a certain skill set and attitude, we're able to perform those types of things jobs I sure as hell couldn't do and I wouldn't want to do them and no different mm -hmm. than people wanting to do my job so I, I think those are the things and I just love we go into somebody one of our you know uh, our motto is is that you know it's my duty as a pararescue man to save the life and aid the injured I will be prepared at all times to perform my assigned duties quickly and efficiently Placing these duties before personal design. These things I do that others may live. And a lot, if you break that apart, there's a lot in there. 
The key is, though, to be prepared at all times. All right. And I'm going to go off on a, on a quick, but I talk about resiliency. Uh, people well we think in order to be resilient mm -hmm. yeah i think he froze up a little bit there yeah but... you're sitting there doing nothing. hold on a second we lost you there oh. a second oh. yeah yeah you're back though go for it okay so talking a little bit about resiliency uh still there or not i think yep, so. you're there you're there everybody must be online to watch their tv shows or something uh, let, me go my, let me go text my neighbors and tell them to get the hell off the... <laughs> yeah that's, that's great. okay that's okay we're, we're coming down to winding down so go ahead um whatever okay. go, start so, over with what, what you're just to, there on that mental agility of that resiliency you know a lot of times we think like an event happens from zero to 100 you know you go from a start of zero up to 100 but that's seldom the case. Usually when an event happens in any of our lives, you're actually starting more on a negative factor. If you're starting at zero, that means you're sitting in the car with your foot in the gas ready to press it. Uh, right. And you're ready to go. Uh, right. So when an event happens, you're probably negative something. Mm. Um, and then we want to take people, we think mental health, mental agility, and maybe I'll start using that, um, is we want to get them from a zero a hundred back to zero but they'll never be back to the same zero because their life has changed they've changed yeah. they're different their experiences are different so we're not taking them back to zero we're taking them back to a new 10 or whatever mm. that is so anyway i kind of jumped around there just a little bit but i, I think it's important uh, from a pararescue standpoint, we're always the guys that are always going into those types of uh, mm -hmm. areas where they don't know what they're getting into. They just know they no. have a job to do well, and they're going to do it. Yeah, and before we started recording, you would even kind of mention something to me, and, and even I fell into the stigma of a pararescue, they only go and help the military troops if something bad goes happen. But that's not only what you guys do. Oh, so, no, no. Yeah, oh, no. I mean, there's a lot more to that. Um, so, like I said, we're kind of winding down, but I'd really like to kind of um, maybe just kind of give us an example of something that you might have got called into duty for and kind of how that all played out. And like from the time you were called till the time you arrive, like how that how quickly that all happens and such. Well, uh, it's a whole bunch that I <laughs> uh, <laughs> just give us give us um, cover. But I'll, I'll give um, I'll give probably an, give us uh, a military version. Yeah, I'll give you a, a version of um, of uh, oh, storm. Um, okay, I was in a position in Germany where I was going to deploy at that time. So Desert Storm kicked off on January seventeenth. I get a call on January fourteenth. Hey, um, pack your stuff. Get uh, uh, Rhein-Main Air Base, um, we're, we're flying out. So mm. I was like, okay, got it. You know, we'll pack up, take all your gear and, um, you know, off you, off you go. Uh, so th that, that's a matter of, you know, hours where you didn't think you were going and you weren't going to go. 
Uh, I'll jump to another one to always pull alert in Saudi Arabia. Um, mm -hmm. Mission was the United Nations mission. They wouldn't fly without us being out there for alert. So if they went wow. down in Iraq, our job was to go in to get them. Mm -hmm. uh, how we were going to do that, that's a whole other story, and that's a long one to tell. But one of the things that happened while we were there, if you talk about adaptability and versatility and flexibility, uh, the Yemen Civil War had kicked off. And uh, back mm. then, Yemen was two countries, North and South. Mm. And uh, they, we needed to go in wanted to go in and evacuate all the non-combatants uh, from the U.S. Mm -hmm. for the U.S. and all of our allies. But we had no rapid uh, reaction force in the area. Um, I went to a briefing and I said, what are you looking for? Um, and they said, well, we need somebody who has medical capability, somebody who can work around aircraft, somebody who can provide security, can work communications like satellite radios and anything else that pops up. It's like, well, we can do that. Uh, we have guys that are on work, but we can do that. Um, so uh, we ended up in a, in a moment's notice within hours, and then we didn't have any of this on our radar. Flying down into a civil war. Uh, oh, to wow. Out, to pull oh, out my gosh. Into an area. Now, in some ways, that always sounds you know, worse than it is, but you don't know what you're going getting into when you go down right. there. Um, well, we flew in with a couple aircraft, and in two days we got out 660 people, and we wow. did it with minimal crew. Today, they would fly in a much larger force to do that. Uh, we did it with a very uh, small force to do that, but those are things that it pops up, to react uh, and uh, it was a mission that wasn't on our radar scope nobody talked about it or thought about it mm -hmm. uh, but the guy um, I was I was kind of at that time I was the last guy to step off uh, soil and onto the aircraft uh, to do that what does that mean I don't know that sounds good it means yeah. you're a badass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, no, yeah, I wouldn't I, expect you to be anything other than humble. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll boost your ego. Don't worry. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes you do get called in um, to pull bodies out that have perished. And um, that's kind of what we're remembering here on Memorial Day, the ones that gave the ultimate sacrifice. Um. And I know you kind of wanted to close this out with something you had written, so um, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, and I'll, I, it's a poem. It's a little bit longer, but I'm just going to read the, the last few phrases of it because I do think it's important. Um, mm -hmm. Some say it's a day of sadness as they die nothing. I say, remember them all. Reflect on their sacrifice. Rejoice in their bravery, rekindle their spirit. I say, I don't care about those who say they died for nothing. I say they lived so that others may live, that as a beacon, someday others may rise from tyranny, persecution, and repression. I say they lived for all. They lived for each other. 
their memories live in strength, honor, love, and courage. And that, my friend, is everything. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, that was really nice. I like that. There's no better way to close the show than that. Uh, heck no, heck no. So, uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Paul, for, uh, sharing your stories and, uh, and I can just see, even see that after you read that, I mean, it, it, it really hits home to you and, uh, and I can appreciate that. Yeah. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I know, and you know, I don't, I think you had mentioned this before we started recording that you really irritate you when you hear about people that go into the military and give the ultimate sacrifice and people say that they did it all for nothing. And, uh, obviously by you writing that that is the total bs to you so um yeah so and another thing too is also thank you for bringing up about the, the mental health awareness uh it's definitely something that needs to get talked about more and the stigma needs to go away we need to figure out other ways to attack this so once again uh chief master sergeant retired paul miller uh that others may rise.org is a hundred percent nonprofit organization i don't know if we stress that enough paul it's a hundred percent nonprofit. Um, yeah, no, so. no, no dollars go to support us and no dollars, you know, we pay for, you know, all administrative costs and, and everything like that. So that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. So we got that. And we also want to just one more time, push out 1-800-273-8255 or text 741-741. If you're having any kind of mental health struggles, whether it be depression, suicide, anything, uh, somebody's always there 24 seven to listen to you. So uh, yeah. with that being said, thanks again, Uncle Paul. It was really great chatting with you. And, and Paul, thank you for everything that you've done, uh, yes, not yes. only in the service, but what you're doing outside the service as well is uh, really inspirational. So thank you very much. Oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. This concludes our broadcast day. Click. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe follow and like everything we do social media wise also please share subscribe rate review on whatever platform you're listening to and also let them know you can now listen to us on rowdy i am radio